Don't wanna live as an untold story Rather go out in a blaze of glory I can't hear you I don't fear you I live now cause the bad die last Dodging bullets with your broken past We're back. We're here. We're on the air. I'm going to apologize in advance for the flumminess. Uh, still sick. Still trying to kick this. But hello! You are listening to issue number 34 of the Sunspots Comics Podcast, and I am Chris Latori. I hope you are doing well. I hope your Christmas was, like, awesome and amazing, and you got to spend time with people that you love, and you got some goodies, and did some fun stuff, and saw Star Wars, maybe for the third or fourth time, and uh, the happiest and... and and warm, heartfelt wishes to you and yours on this Christmas holiday season. And uh, let's, um, uh, this show is going to be fun because I've got a dedication. I've got a comic book feel good factor for you, just one. I've got one Spider Sense Tingling article, short and sweets. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I've got five that made my favorite picks of the week this week and read 14. So pretty good. Not bad. Okay ratio, I guess. And uh, Zombie Destroyers, page one is complete. Tomorrow, I will be picking up page one from the artist extraordinaire, Jordan Hudson. Follow him on Instagram, Jordan underscore Hudson underscore art on Instagram. And page one is done. I can't wait to see it. I haven't seen it completed yet. I'm completely excited. It's not colored. I'm going to be coloring, I think. I'm working on uh, learning some coloring, reading on some coloring, practicing on some coloring, bought some some Prismacolor uh, markers. So trying to get myself together with the coloring aspect. There's a whole lot more involved than I thought, which I expected that. For instance, you draw the Hulk, it's 30 shades of green. You need 30 different colored pens for just drawing one color. So. Uh, and then there's the, the the respect of light as to where it is on the page. <clears throat> so that affects things. And uh, I have a new respect for for colorists, inkists in comic books. It's um, not a simple trade. It's not just coloring and staying within the lines. There's a lot more to it. So let's jump right in and away we go. First off, I want to dedicate episode issue 34 to Stan the Man Lee. He turned 93 years old yesterday, December 28th, which is crazy, and I, I, I tell you, I've met him numerous times, I've seen him at cons, I've been at signings, I've had some, some intimate signings at small comic book shops, but one Stanley story I wanted to share today that really sticks in my mind is in 2004. It was summer of 2004, I lived in Las Vegas, and at the Palms Casino, I was invited to the red carpet premiere of Spider-Man 2. And I remember it succinctly in my mind because I had just won custody of my son Justin. Hi Justin. Uh, awarded custody and you know having him move in with me full time was was a big deal. I was really excited. I was really happy to have him in my life and I hadn't had him all that long and I was invited to this uh, Sp Spider-Man 2 premiere with Stan Lee and red carpet premiere and I, I took him with me. And we were there so early that the red carpet hadn't even been rolled out yet <laughs> at the Palms Casino. We were just loitering for hours and hours and hours. I was so excited. So we got there crazy early. And even before any of the major stars, Tobey Maguire and, uh, and, the, uh, and the rest of the cast and Sam Raimi, <clears throat> that 
the first person there was Stan Lee and his wife Joan. And what was kind of cool was that his wife Joan noticed us loitering and standing around and when we parked ourselves in a spot, security kept saying, oh, no, move over here. Oh, move over here. Oh, move over here. So Joan was joking around saying like, oh, they moved you again. Look, you're now you're over here. Now you're over there. And at the time I recognized her face, but I didn't remember her name, uh, Joan Lee. Joan B. Lee is the way she prefers to be called. And they've been married for 68 years. I just, I saw that they were married in 1947 and they're still together 68 years later. But uh, she was joking with us, pointing us out. We were there before anyone else. It wasn't the major, the largest of the premieres. You know, Hollywood, of course, was the big one. But uh, Stan Lee was going to be there and so were some of the actors and the director. And so she was, uh, Joan actually started talking to us and saying like, hey, are you guys okay? And oh, they moved you over here and was joking around with us. And Stan wasn't with her. And eventually Stan came over to her side with his entourage and I got to see them sort of interact uh, and talk a little bit they're smart Alex to each other it was just adorable cutest thing you've ever seen and they hold hands and he Joan called us over said hey I want you to meet Stan and that's when my heart I think actually fell onto the floor I was like what actually meet him like in this capacity and it was just casual I think I got to really see a side of Stan that you don't really see maybe in documentaries you see a little smidge of it I remember one documentary with Joan in particular where they showed the inside of Stan's house but here they were like holding hands at this premiere and I don't uh, think she really if she doesn't go to a lot of these she's just kind of in the background where she doesn't want to be in the spotlight but there they were talking to us and Stan asked us questions and was asking Justin questions he probably doesn't remember he was so little um, just you know how long have we been there and, and who is your favorite Marvel character and of course it was Spider-Man and it was just, it was just very, very cool that, that ooh, I was so starstruck and I, I don't normally get that way that I really didn't know what to ask him or what to say to him. And, and Justin kind of didn't know who he was, but he, I think he fed on, on me sitting there starstruck, dumbstruck. And we just had this nice little warm conversation with the four of us together there. And I told him how Spider-Man was one of my first comic books that I ever read and I first collected and then I, I I root for him because he's like one of us and I remember Stan saying well see you get it you understand that's what Spider-Man's all about and it was just this great conversation and Stan got pulled away quickly but said goodbye and shook our hands and I didn't even have him sign anything and Joan hung out there with us for a second and said give me your address I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a little something I honestly didn't expect to get anything and a couple of weeks later she sent me like a headshot, glossy headshot from Stan uh, with our names and signed it. And I still have that and it's one of my prized possessions because it was just a, it was a warm moment. Most of those moments when you meet someone like Stan Lee, I mean, well, there is no other like Stan Lee, but when you meet someone famous, they're not really warm exchanges. They're, they're cold or you take a snapshot or it's a little bit fake. I don't know. It was just a real moment that felt warm and felt nice. Just like, hey, we met this nice older couple and we had a... A moment to talk with him so it was very very cool and I wanted to share that with you but um, beyond being the creator of all things Marvel I mean the man has a, a charitable foundation the Stan Lee Foundation he uh, just came out with um, a memoir which I'm gonna have to check out that uh, is called uh, the amazing fantastic incredible life of Stan Lee a marvelous memoir so perfectly named just Stan Lee out on that one 
And uh, so I just wanted to say happy birthday and thank you, Stanley, for everything you've done, for everything you've created, for all of the imagination you've inspired, for all the fantastical, wonderful creations that came out of your brain throughout the years that has entertained us and made us happy and brought us joy. Um, you're the man, Stan. So true believers, enough said. Excelsior. <laughs> so that leads me right into the one and only comic book feel good factoid freebie this week. And it's from NBC News, and it highlights Stan Lee on his amazing, fantastic, incredible life, the Marvel memoir. And it just highlights some of his career, pinpoints he was in the military, pinpoints what he went through uh, in the early days of Marvel, um, from some issues he had in the 60s with licensing. It seems really interesting and a nice little unique snapshot of, of Stan Lee's life, so I'm definitely going to be picking that up and checking that out. I think it's already out. <clears throat> the amazing, fantastic, incredible Stan Lee, a marvelous memoir. So that's my one and only comic book feel-good factoid for you this week. That's it. What was that? What, what, did you guys did you hear something? What was that? I think I heard something. That's right. It's my spider sense tingling. Well, this week I only have one spider sense tingling article, and it's a it's a warm and fuzzy article. It also makes me think that what is here may eventually come to life. I think that one day we're gonna see capes. We're gonna see suits. We're gonna see outfits. We're gonna see people out there do gooders. But anyway. This uh, is from Newsweek.com. Scientists find an all-black glowing shark species, and they named it the Ninja Lantern Shark. I mean, that has villain name written all over it, right? The Ninja Lantern Shark? That just seems like it's ready to go. I wonder if this scientist is a comic book fan. He probably is. So he discovered it. Uh, it looks like it's uh, from the Research Center in California. And the technical name, I love these technical names, how they come up with this. I'm sure it's, it's Greek-infused or... Or it's, um, it's Etmopateris Benchiali. Okay. <clears throat> I think he infused his name because his name's Peter Benchley. So Benchiali, Benchlii, something like that. Uh, that's the author of Jaws. I'm sorry, it's not the scientist, Peter Benchley. So he must have infused that in there. But the shark is, I guess, a foot and a half long. It's black, but glows blue. And uh, ninja, I guess, because it's just extremely stealthy and can't be seen until the very last minute. Razor sharp, frightening looking teeth, but very, very cool. And I think, you know, there's a comic book writer out there, I'm sure, already creating a villain named Nin Ninja Lantern Shark. He's already on it. Good job. <laughs> but that is my the article that made my spider sense tingle this week. So there you go. And let's jump right into the uh, my favorite part of the show because uh, we're it was very light news week. I think Star Wars again is still dominating with the seven godzillion bajillion dollars it's made and everyone's going back a third and fourth and fifth time. What didn't seem to be any other sort of articles that jumped right out at me in regards to artificial intelligence or any of that. So let's jump right into it. Before we get into the uh, favorite picks of the week, um, the art cover winner and the artist winner was one and the same. I love it when they come together like that because it was an easy, easy pick. For cover winner, uh, Venom, Space Knight, number two, and uh, written or drawn by Robbie Thompson. No, that's the writer. Artist, Ariel Olivetti. Ariel Olivetti is a very skilled artist here. He has a very hyper-realistic style and look. 
he has the, the coloring and shading that adds realism to all the musculature of Venom to these spacey, crazy, crazy looking alien crab aliens that are uh, that Venom's in a fisticuffed fight with. Just a lot of fun. Even the detail of the rain on this alien planet is gorgeous. But easily the art winner pick and cover art winner with Venom flying through space, heading towards some bad guys and this gorgeous planet like behind him and this very star-like space event action scene pose that's happening. Just a lot of fun, just gorgeous. Darks upon these white contrasts. Even the name, you know, Venom in this whitish gray just pops. It just seems very iconic and I love it. And that's why it was easily the art winner and the cover pick winner this week. I'm doing it right. I have to follow Ariel Olivetti everywhere. Literally follow him. <laughs> so, uh, fantastic job there. No new number ones this week, which was nice. There was 14 comic books this week. Five of them made the favorite list, and you should buy these immediately. These are my comic book recommendations. You should go to a local comic book shop, buy them on paper. Yes, paper. They are absolute winners. And of course, before we jump into the top five, spoiler alert. I do spoil these. I've read them all. I do give you some juicy nuggets, but try not to give just everything away, as you'll see. But if you have not read these, you might want to read them first and then come back and check them out and see and you know if my reviews line up with your reviews or if I've found something different or if you find something different or you have a comment, a question, a, a recommendation, email me. Chris at sunspotscomics.com. I'd love the feedback on any of my reviews or just anything for that matter. So starting in at number five is Outcast, number 14 from Image Comics by Robert Kirkman, an artist, Paul Azaseta. And I tell you, his work really stood out this, this week. The art is fantastic. Reminds me of Southern Bastards. A lot of greens and dark blues. So it sets a, ver it sets a very moody tone very kind of dark and ominous tone but this is a, a big event in this comic and it's going to have impact I think on future issues of this comic <clears throat> in that the main character who has this ability to kind of do exorcisms with his blood he really doesn't understand his own power he's learning it the outcast is is our main character who's traveling with a reverend trying to heal people in this town that this this these demons are affecting and and taking over so this affects his sister, um, which is a big deal, and uh, his, oh, I'm sorry, not his sister, his like ex-wife, and the ex-wife was taken over by a demon, and she even hurts her new boyfriend by throwing him out the window, and our main character is able to exercise her, and during all of this they realize that the young daughter isn't even there, like where's the little daughter, they forgot about her. And she's with this, the evil demon who we believe is the bad guy. We don't 100% know if he's the one that's possessing all the people in this town, but he looks frighteningly ominous. He's an older guy with white hair and wears this 50s kind of, kind of hat and just has this evil, these evil eyes and evil face. And the way that, that he draws this man's face is truly frightening, just with the, the, the teeth and the lips and the, the scowl in his forehead. So he does a great job of just conveying the, this, uh, this demon in a, in a human, evil-looking way on his face. So this reverend, is just, uh, while they're back at the, uh, the aftermath of this exchange where the, the ex-wife is 
out of, you know, out of the, uh, she's been exercised the demon now, so she's, the fog is lifting. The Reverend a a attacks the, the evil man in the, in the hat. And the evil man in the hat just says he wants to press charges. So it was like, oh, okay. And during this exchange, the Reverend's shirt rips open to, to show a pentagram, like carved sort of tattoo on his chest. So Reverend, we thought was doing all this good, has a pentagram in his chest. Great writing, twisted writing. And uh, the Reverend's thrown in prison. So now you got the outcast kind of by himself. What's gonna happen here? Is he going to have to exercise the rest of these demons in this town by himself? And how does this affect things with his daughter? How does it affect things with his ex-wife? Whom he really has a estranged relationship with, but he's trying to make it better. Part of That's part of the, the draw of this comic, honestly, is him trying to sort of do right with his daughter and ex-wife. So good stuff. Uh, exciting taking some great turns here and I think they're going to the events in this comic are really going to impact the comic book going forward which I think uh, is going to be interesting so definitely in Outcast I would definitely recommend it number four from Valiant Comics Bloodshot Reborn number nine <clears throat> written by Jeff Lemire who is a master who writes so many good things too many to name look them up uh, art by Butch Guise, G-U-I-C-E, Goose, I'm not sure how you pronounce that, I apologize in advance. The art's okay, I mean, not amazing, but the writing Jeff Lemire here, he, he tells an interesting story with this. In a nutshell, Bloodshot is a an assassin with these nanites in his body that makes him have white skin and this weird red dot on his chest. The nanites repair him, they make him intelligent, they make him talk to electronic equipment. In like a valiant uh, world-changing event, they took the nanites out of his body and he became human. When he's in full nanite mode, he's not very human. He's very robotic, takes orders, kind of an assassin, cold-blooded killer. When all the nanites removed from him is where the star story began in, episode, in issue one, and he becomes fully human. But he is a drug addict and an alcoholic trying to get the voices out of his head or the nanites to stop calling him and and he finds out that all the nanites have escaped to like a bunch of different people and they've cr they're all serial killers from it they're just killing people left and right so his very clear mission is to get all the nanites back at the cost of sending him back to being um bloodshot again but it but he but jeff does a great job here of changing that in that he meets this woman which her name is magic if i remember correctly and the woman sort of keeps him grounded in his humanity. I thought that was interesting here. And that as he slowly puts the nanites back into his body, she sort of keeps that human aspect of him alive and makes him aware of it. And so that his, he's able to sort of infuse his, his personality, his spirit into the nanites and sort of partnering with them. And she, Magic even ultimately, this episode is the end where they find the last person with the last bit of nanites and it's a child and he's able to not kill the child. And it's interesting how he does that with healing him with the nanites first. He does shoot the kid um, and heals him with the nanites first. And just before the nanites fully envelop the, the kid, he's able to draw the nanites out these small little robot, robotic blood cells, I think, if you will. <clears throat> and then he gets them all. But as his, as you feel like he's going to slip back into robot mode, there is magic to kind of keep him grounded again. So she even has the file of his background, of his past. And it's there. And you're kind of like, okay, I want to see this. This is an interesting. It's exciting. Let's break it down. What's it going to be? He sets the, the folder on fire and decides, you know, he's... 
this is his life now that's the past and he has to let it go and it'll only make him sad and he he takes the hero's path and says i need to just um help people out there be a hero the best i can and hopefully magic will stay with him and i think that's what they're going with um but we'll see we'll see where this continues with number 10 this is definitely the end of the arc it says end at the end and so now they're this new bloodshot is made from this born from the ashes if you will and it might be interesting to see if Jeff's, Jeff Lemire is going to continue writing in number 10 or is it going to be a different team? Is it going to, what's going to happen from there? I'm going to check out number 10 just to see for sure. But the one through nine of this, Bloodshot Reborn, with Jeff Lemire writing was definitely an interesting road, an interesting path, a road trip, if you will, even with him and Magic and how their relationship develops and how their, their, their care for each other really saves him. So well done, Jeff. That's why you are the master writer. And number three is uh, from DC Comics, issue number two of Dark Knight 3, The Master Race. And I remember being a little critical on the first episode. I remember the art seemed a little unfinished from Adam Kubert. This seems finished. This I like this a lot better than number one. And it does a better job with the art. There's some Frank Miller-like moments. Uh, there is... Uh, this, the opening splash page <clears throat> where the panels are all over the place with blood splattered behind it is definitely just striking the white on red and the contrast here of this woman dressed as Batman who's incarcerated because she attacked a bunch of policemen is uh, speaking to, to Commissioner Gordon who's a woman though it is still it's it's a little batshit crazy it's a little all over the place but this opening panel with the light coming through the prison bars very frank miller-esque scene there from adam kubert has those beats where she says that batman bruce wayne is dead was killed by the toad years ago whereas he's not dead they show him on a gurney but just beaten to a gross looking pulp and there's bruce wayne uh which they show kind of the um the hospital bed beeps go to a flat line but not the case she's it's a ruse she's telling this commissioner gordon he's still alive because in the later pages after they show the atom uh going to revive candor the miniature city of in krypton that was captured in in the fortress of solitude which why would want to do that just sounds all bad uh that's the one thing i was like why are you doing this adam but he's a scientist doing his sciencey thing and uh, not really realizing what the <laughs> the effects will be from setting loose a bunch of Kryptonians on Earth. It'll all be superheroes, supermen, superpowered. And then there's a she's a, the Bat Woman that we thought was Batman uh, is broken out of uh, jail with a, a bat tank. Very awesome looking bat tank. And then just as that little escape begins, then you have the mini Wonder Woman number one comic in the middle. I think that's just cool how they do that. That's a, definitely a first that I can remember. It's like a little Ashcan comic mini, you know, with the weird gl gluey sticky stuff in the middle of the comic. And Wonder Woman number one, great little story of how she was in the first issue and she has a little Kryptonian, half Kryptonian baby, Superman's baby, you would think, strapped to her back. And her teenage daughter comes, who is, you know, I guess a Supergirl, uh, and calls Wonder Woman mother. <clears throat> so I guess... Her and Superman have a long-term thing going. But what's interesting about this little meeting is how they train, they spar, and the daughter has this sort of uppity Kryptonian attitude. I mean, she is a teenager, so 
issues there as it is, but she's the mother whacks her with a sword and the sword just shatters. Wonder Woman's sword just flies to pieces and she's just like Wonder Woman's huffing and puffing and Supergirl's just standing there saying I'm Kryptonian and bounces. So yikes. Man, even superheroes have the angsty teenagers to deal with. <laughs> but then we're back to Bat Tank. Escape scene is awesome. And you get into where Adam releases and fully sizes some people of Kandor. And it's this massacre scene. So it looks like the evil villains uh, is what he ends up bringing to full size. So with tears in his eyes, he realizes he made a huge mistake. Yeah. And they shrink the atom down, and then they squish him. Step on him. <clears throat> Is he dead? You don't really know. But probably. So, much better episode, I thought. It was a lot of fun. It was all over the place. I, the continuity aspect of it, I was able to get past it because the art is sharp, crisp, clean. The the color lines are, are just gorgeous. A lot of just some sun-like colors. Reds, oranges, yellows. Very Sunspots Comics coloring. <laughs> but I enjoyed this a lot, and I'm actually excited to see what book three will deliver. And that's, again, uh, the uh, third pick of the week, Dark Knight 3, issue number two. Book number two, The Master Race. So definitely, The Master Race is a rising. So number two, <clears throat> number one and two were so good. They were fantastic. But number two, I decided to go with Venom, Space Knight, number two. And this is just a lot of fun, written by uh, Robbie Thompson and uh, art by Ariel Olivetti. And his like symmetrical lines and all these characters are gorgeous. You see a, an opening scene with Guardians of the Galaxy and it looks like Flash Thompson, who is Venom, is at an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting saying, hello, um, my name is Flash and I'm an alcoholic. And you see, hi Flash, hi Flash. The details on his face, I mean, just even his five o'clock shadow, uh, the eye lines, the brow, the hair, like the line, the fine lines on the hair, it's just finished, polished, and gorgeous. And uh, then you're in a Venom fight scene, two-page two splash, which is gorgeous, in this crazy green, you know, foresty-like world, fighting these crab aliens that are just awesome looking, and you don't really know why, but Venom has got a got to fight these things that are trying to destroy him <clears throat> and he's using his symbiote as claw as well and as a spike sort of weapon and then this acid rain comes burning down on this small little alien village and he has to make a a venom umbrella <laughs> just to cover this this town i thought okay cool the symbiote's doing stuff you just like that when it's forming and it's molding and he's creating umbrellas and the suit is changing and the face changes it's just a lot of fun that way and Flash Thompson has no legs, so he has to keep the symbiote alive on his legs. I think that's just kind of neatly drawn and interesting in that way. And so he uh, saves this these strange little alien beings to find that there is some sort of weird device that's pumping out stuff from the core of their planet and shipping it out into space without them knowing, and it's causing a real global unbalancing <clears throat> with those crab-like creatures, which are normally docile, they say, they're, that are trying to kill the people because their food source is being destroyed. So, a little bit of a interesting reflection to our world today. So, he has to go after and uh, be this uh, be the savior and find out who's pumping this core material out of their planet and sees that there's a ship above this, the atmosphere, but that ship is actually filled with other symbiotes that they're not related to this pumping of this material. And so, he's 
talking to these other symbiotes, which are crazy looking. Nothing like we've seen, which I thought was very well done as well. Purple symbiote with like a hammerhead, like a shark hammerhead face. And then like a white symbiote that looked like a, like a giant, like silverback gorilla with humongous lips and six eyes. Crazy looking, great looking aliens. And I love that when they really spend some time and when an artist will really take just intricate measure to make these lines beautiful on on alien beings it's gorgeous so you have to see what these aliens look like it's totally neat but i thought was a, a nice writing point was that the the positive nature they give flash thompson he's just very upbeat about stuff he's not a bummer but at the same time in contrast he has his robot 803 partner who is like this suicidal robot always downer oh it reminds me of that um <clears throat> That Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy robot that's always like depressed. He's, he just wants to, wants to die and wants to kill himself sort of. But Flash is always joking in upbeat ways to kind of keep him positive. And it's just his upbeat manner made me smile and made me happy. And then we get to see who is pumping this material from that planet. And it's a crazy looking alien race. Which again, the detail on this strange looking alien is fantastic looking. And uh, his name is Lord Tubin. Tubin, and he's like, do not call me Lord. And uh, they say, what's our worst, most vile creature in our holding cells? And he's like, Rick Rolo, send that to Venom and bring me his head. So I'm in. I'm all in. It's space adventure. It's Venom. It's the suit doing fun stuff. It's Flash Thompson's positive, upbeat attitude. All of that was just good times. Well done comic and gorgeously drawn. That's why it's the art winner and cover art winner of the week and number one for new comic book day december 23rd again 14 comics this was the number one pick of the week and that is from image comics saga number 32 drawn by the wonderful fiona staples and written by brian k vaughn of so many amazing comics like why the last man and Ex Machina, or Machina, however you call it. Well, the best part of this comic is the romantic relationship between the, Shakespe the Shakespearean-like story of, of love against these, with these two species that hate each other, with this, that are warring and have been warring for a long time, from like these sort of magic-looking ram-headed humanoid creatures to the woman um, as like a fairy-like with wings-like flyers. And uh, it's an interesting little intro here as to where they're back together. Their daughter's been taken. Their daughter's with their grandmother on this female prison. Kind of orange is the new black type situation. And <laughs> science fiction, orange is the new black. And they're searching for their daughter and they are met with a security guard. They're trying to talk their way out of it, but then it turns into action. He's firing a weapon at our main character and uh, both of which their names have just totally escaped me I'm so sorry I'm always horrible with names but uh, anyway they fire the weapon at him he has to use a spell to put this security guard to sleep <clears throat> and that action sequence here is just so well done so well timed so well lit um, it's just bright science fiction color awesomeness of course page one always 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 has a just one single page splash and it's uh, he's it's like he's taking his own wife hostage here. And like, what is going on? Why is he taking her hostage? Well, it's a, a rouge. They're trying to talk their way out of this with the security guard situation, but they're back together. And their dialogue between the two of them is 
it's it's they're smart alecky to each other they but they deeply care about each other and it's it's you know, not only the dialogue but the way that they look at each other it's it it's easily it's easy to just see it and feel the emotion that they have for each other so that's Brian does a Brian Mr. Vaughn does a fantastic job of conveying that from the way they look at each other and from the dialogue they have with each other so you manage to get out of that situation and they have a sort of moment where he's like give me the gun and she thinks that he's fundamentally talking about his his belief in that weapons are useless and that they do nothing and you think that he's having this moment of where he's standing on a soapbox saying give me your weapon they're useless you shouldn't use these and all of them are ultimately pointless and useless and he's like and she's you know grandstanding to him and like look weapons you know she's defending the use of weapons and he's like no I just need the weapon to make a key to open this door <laughs> so he uses magic I just thought of the dialogue there was 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 funny and well-placed and witty. He's like, no, I don't need the gun for other heavier reasons here. I just needed to make a key out of it. And so he makes a key out of it. They go into this room. They realize where the daughter has been kept because they're in like a storage room with records. And now they have their new mission. But then, boom, security busts in with these crazy looking, almost Ghost Rider like policemen. And they all have like flames for hands and appendages and their face is just made of fire and but yet they have very modern day tactical like riot suits on <laughs> interesting blend of alien and strange to sort of modern day today and they uh, their ship comes to save the day thank goodness and the places end up uh, place ends up in flames and they just have this moment where she can fly, he can't, and he's like, jump for me and we'll land on this ship at the same time. And he's like, you expect me to ride on a, on a moving rocket? And the look that she gives him is just priceless. It's that look in her eyes like, uh, yeah, dummy, come on, trust me. And he makes the leap. And while it's being narrated by the daughter, <laughs> she has some great, a great line right in this full page splash of Marco leaping for for her and it says you married me didn't you it's like you know you should trust me and they sort of they re-embrace it's a it's a moment they've been away from each other for a long period of time and their their love for each other is is still there even though they've went their separate ways she had a, a stint with some drugs and they had a falling out with that but it looks like she's cleaned her act up and they they have a moment where they realize why they're in love with each other and why they're doing all this and they have to find their daughter. So it's just that bringing together of them after being apart for so long that brought this back up to <clears throat> the top of the list because that's really the core of this is the love they have for each other and their daughter and uh, now their their mission is clear and they're back together. So that's why I was happy to see that. Uh, the daughter narrated that you don't end up together so but this is uh, we don't know how when that happens and yet this is a moment where they come together they work well together they're a great team together they can get stuff done and it's just again showing uh in, in this sci-fi awesome drama that uh you know love can exist uh with with without whatever boundaries that they are faced with so there you go that's the show a couple things before i want to wrap it up uh, a quick mention of issue 35 is going to be the year-end uh, roundup, and I just wanted to give a quick preview of it. I'm going to be going over what my favorite comic book pick was, maybe do a top 10 of the comics of the entire year, and maybe pick the best of number one. 
Uh, maybe look at some reviewing some previous podcasts. Uh, maybe pick my favorite comic book TV show, pick favorite movie, favorite comic book video game, favorite comic book collectible toy or gadget, or even clothing article or event, that kind of thing. So I'll be putting it all together in a nice little quick list, along with reviewing comic books for next week. Uh, there might be a little delay in the new comic books coming out uh, tomorrow, Wednesday, the uh, 30th, um, because of some inclement weather somewhere. So we'll see if that causes things to, uh, to be delayed. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, make sure you tune in for issue number 35. It's going to be fun, and it's going to have the year-end review wrap-up. And, oh, of course, uh, please follow us on Instagram, fit, uh, Twitter, and Facebook at Sunspots Comics. We'd greatly appreciate it. And if you could so, go to iTunes, hit us with a five-star review. We would very much appreciate that. It helps Sunspots Comics. And, again, if you have suggestions, questions, whatever, hit me, chris, at sunspotscomics.com. And if I do pick your email... I will discuss it on the podcast, and I will send you a free comic book prize. So thank you so much for listening in, and again, uh, I'll be probably talking to you after the New Year, so have a happy, safe, joyous, fun New Year's. Make sure you're with someone that you care about, and have yourself a good, safe time, and happy, happy New Year. But of course, before you go, don't forget to subscribe. It's too big. Size matters not. Look at me. My size, do you? Hmm? Hmm. And where you should not. For my ally is the force. And the powerful ally it is. Life creates it. Makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us. And binds us. Luminous beings are we. Not this crude matter. You must around you, you, between you, me, the tree, the rock, everywhere, yes, and even between the land and the ship. Tasty. Hello, how you doing?